0: Welcome to the special episode of Carecast, Carenet's podcast on family, faith, and life with Roland Warren, Carenet's president and CEO, and Vincent DeCaro, Carenet's chief outreach officer. Carecast and more pro abundant life commentary can be found at care-net.org, where you can watch videos, download eBooks, and subscribe to the Abundant Life blog. This special episode of Carecast was recorded at Carenet's 2020 National Conference in Orlando, Florida, where author and speaker Danielle Strickland was a keynote speaker. Rollin sat down with Danielle over a video conference call just after she delivered her moving speech to hundreds of pregnancy center staff and volunteers who were gathered to sharpen their skills around reaching women and men considering abortion. Let's listen in on Rollin and Danielle's conversation about how Danielle's work to reach the oppressed ties into CareNet's Pro Abundant Life mission.
1: Thank you very much. I know it's probably uh, difficult for you to see what what was going on there, but... Uh,
2: yeah, I heard the, the curtains and the piping fell down. Yeah, I was going to say, you just knocked the place
1: over. You kicked in space. like the Holy Spirit and just like tow up stuff. Yeah, stuff. <laughs>
2: you know when things start shaking, it's time. And you, and you didn't miss a beat. You just pressed
1: on. Other speakers would have said, hey, but you just, this is what I do. You know,
2: I... Well, I, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course, I, I didn't know what was going on, so that was easy.
1: <laughs> I know, great. I know. Well, you well you well, you know you started off with the conversation about um, about your you know your history with the the Salvation Army and and you know and I think the term you used was aggressive compassion. And, yeah. Uh, and I just you know I, as we kind of talk about things and and it's just kind of amazing for you to be uh, joining us at the conference and also uh, doing this follow up. I just love that I love that concept. I love when when you know, two words come together that seem, you know, that are sort of dissimilar. I mean, you don't hear about that, you know, aggressive, right. com- you know, aggressive compassion. I mean, it's not a term that you really hear. And I- I'd love you to just kind of unpack that a little bit more in terms of, you know, w- what you mean by that and, and how-, how you live that out practically. I I, mean, I just love it. I'm I'm going to steal that shamelessly. So
2: yeah, go for it. Steal yeah. it shamelessly. Because I actually got it from Jesus, right? So- <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the actual word compassion, of course, is a very aggressive word. So mm-hmm. this is what's really interesting. There's a fantastic uh, sermon series and little article by Martin Luther King Jr. that explains this really well, the dynamics between love and power mm-hmm. and how the force of God's love is love and power personified together, right? Brought together. Mm-hmm. So he said that oftentimes we think of things like love as this sort of sentimental, anemic, anemic, Kind of thing going on, acceptance thing, and then power is this like forceful, you know, strong uh, thing. And we separate those things. And he says, in the person of Jesus, of course, we see those two things coming together. And the biblical word for that is compassion. Hmm. So it's this love, but it's also forcefully done. It's like invading where there's unlove. Hmm. And so that's that. Those words, aggressive compassion, are really just the word compassion should describe that. But I don't think we we usually see it that way
1: yeah yeah it, it, that's a very interesting concept I you know with what well, maybe you may not know this but you know care that this, this compassion is is a word that's very significant in terms yes. of what we do i mean one of the things that's like clear even in our in how we talk about our you know our mission in terms of what we do we you know offer compassion hope and help uh yes. to when you know to those at risk for abortion so you hear that word a lot and mm-hmm. you know, it's really model after what after what christ did i mean when he met people, the first thing he did was he offered compassion, which gave them hope. And then he helped them that whole thing. And so I've talked about that quite a bit just in terms of how I kind of communicate with people in this as well. And, you know, one of the insights God gave me was sort of this notion around, around love and the the fact that love is compassion and truth in balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And like those two things together. And you see that with Christ. I mean, so you share the truth, with compassion. If you, if you, if you won't share truth, then then even if you're compassionate, it actually is not love. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and if you have share the truth and you don't have compassion, well then it's not love and those things together. And I think the thing with compassion for me that God kind of put on my heart that it's, that it is an action word, you know, the, the kind of the Latin word "com," which is with for my Latin, I took years ago, you know, and then passion is to your point, sort of an action word. And mm-hmm. if you don't, have truth linked with compassion, then what ends up happening is your compassion basically devolves into sentimentality. Where yep. you're saying right. to someone to
2: someone, yes.
1: Be well and be fit. So I feel sorry for you, Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but you're not really compassionate for them unless you take some action. So I really, I really love, I really love that concept and the fact that you kind of brought that, uh, to the CareNet community. I think we're going to be hearing, uh, that uh, a lot, and it seems like a bit of an oxymoron. But when you when you explain it the way that you, you did, it's actually not. It's, it's words that are there. You talked uh, today during your your presentation about you know foundations and the importance of foundations and this whole concept of being out of alignment. I could really kind of relate to what you were talking about with your back. I've had some back problems, and it is so true that if your back's out, everything else everything else is out. How did that? How did that concept start to develop in terms of your thinking? I mean, was it, you know, kind of an issue with your back or was it something else that kind of drove you to kind of start thinking about that framework as you, as you talk about things?
2: Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think leading different, you know, whether it's leading a church or leading a missional agency, you know, lots of outreaches that I did, um, I would... I would try to kind of, I'm usually learning in hindsight to tell you the truth. I wish I had more foresight, but most of my lessons are learned in hindsight. Yeah. And when I would look back, you know, I would even realize that we had done the right thing, but we had done it the wrong way. Hmm. And so, you know, so I think, again, this is like, and, and this is where it can be dangerous, where we talk a little bit about like the truth and love and the answer is like, yes, yes, yes. But also it's like, not just what the truth is, but how we tell the truth and When we, you know, when the truth comes in. And I think those are all foundational things. Those are all posture things. When we are rooted and established, the scripture says, in love, then I think even the truth is presented out of love, not with an agenda or out of defense or out of insecurity or out of fear, but out of love. So for me, a lot of that stuff happened in hindsight. Like, how did we get that wrong? You know, we did the right thing but it didn't result in the thing that we had hoped it. And what, what, why not? And then when we really had a look through some of the things we were doing, we were realizing we weren't really serving out of love. Our posture was wrong or our foundation was a little bit cracked. And we found that we were either, and oftentimes I find, I, I call it like a continuum. I find myself either sliding out of love and into like proving you know, something which is an insecurity, probably thing or sliding the other way. So you're like either proving or sliding the other way. And I'm trying to please other people. Mm -hmm. So one is sort of moves to arrogance and the other one moves to insecurity. But somewhere right in the middle is this, what I would call a posture of true humility, which is agreeing with God about who we are. Mm -hmm. And ultimately the ultimate thing all of us are, are completely the beloved of God. We are loved by God. And when we can figure that out, you know, really receive it, and then we can offer it. And then we're not trying to do things out of proving something that we're right, or even like, you know, what the truth is, but we're also not trying to please uh, people or abade people. We're just serving out of this posture of humility. And that is really liberating. So for me, it was a mixture of like personal pain in my own life, but also just hindsight of where I had tried and right motive it wasn't a wrong motive. It just might've been a wrong posture.
1: Gotcha. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I love the the conversation about about foundations because I think in our culture, this American culture I'm talking about here, but it might be, you know, sort of Western culture um, uh, in that, uh, you know, there are some similarities between Canada and the United States in a lot of ways. People don't, it seems to me people don't really um, value the importance of foundations uh, the way that, we used to, or the way that we should. And there's a lot of upheaval here in the United States around racial stuff and all kinds of things. And, and, and you know, and, there, and there's sort of this challenge around like the foundations that built the nation. And, and I, I've thought about that a lot in terms of, even around the, the life issue, there's some foundational principles of, you know, life beginning at conception and the importance of that. And all those kinds of things And our culture in many ways seems to me just wants to like disregard the foundation that things are built upon and, you know, kind of move forward and add to it. I, I first got that insight when I, I went to, I was in the Czech Republic and we went up into this one, my wife and I were there on vacation and we went up into this one cathedral. I went actually, she, she said, I'm not going, but it was a step challenge. It was like 500 steps or some crazy number of steps. And, and I said, that I'm going to do it. And I went all the way up uh, to the top and I got to the, 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 the steeple to the very, very top. And my wife was down below and she was incredibly small when I looked at her. And I always think about the fact that if in that moment she had said to me, hey, is it okay if I pull out this brick over here? (laughs) And from my perspective, well, the brick is even smaller than she is. What difference does it make? Well, the Mm -hmm. brick that she could pull out would be a foundational brick. And we think that these foundational bricks in culture and and certainly Christianity is one of those things, certainly in terms of how we think about um, things to some degree, that you pull those out that somehow... The rest of the structure is going to stay like there's not going to be any movement or shifting mm-hmm. if you if you pull foundational pieces out. So I, I just love that concept because you're talking about, you know, a crack in the foundation um, or or um, or or like not building something on the on the right foundation. And the other pieces, too, that the foundation that's been laid, you know, not valuing the fact that the cornerstone is important. It, it's not something that you can just pull out without there having an impact.
2: Yeah, those, I mean, those are all amazing. And one of the things I think I've been really challenged with lately is to push even the foundational conversation to an organic space. Mm -hmm. So like Wendell Berry says, you know, you really shouldn't even be able to talk about God unless you've gotten your hands in the dirt. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And, uh, and this is a really interesting, uh, this is a really interesting season in a generation that's hungry to get back to sort of organic, you know, grow your own food. So if you're ever like with a farmer or someone who grows their own food, they know exactly what you mean by foundation, but they're not thinking in brick and mortar that doesn't change, Mm -hmm. but they're thinking in like concepts of land, right? Mm -hmm. They're thinking in like the healthiness of the dirt and like the seed that you plant. So, and this of course is the image of a foundation that God built in the creation of all things, right? It was a living foundation. It was alive, And this is when we talk about Jesus, of course, he's a living foundation, even as the cornerstone, he's alive, right? So we're not like, so sometimes I feel like when I think foundational things, I think of stagnant things that are stuck in time, Mm. but I found it to be so much more challenging to realize that what if it's a living thing, you know, this foundation is alive and it's organic and it's, it's changing, but in the way that it's renewing the earth and growing beautiful things. So just that idea of of getting ourselves rooted and established in the living foundation, because, you know, plants will get what they need for the season that they're in and they'll change shape and they'll change. So again, then we're not stuck in these like things that we have to undo or shape or, you know, scrape it all back, but we're actually living uh, out of this living foundation who is Christ. And then things can different colors emerge, different plants. You know what I mean? There's all these different things. I feel the garden image, is, is a powerful way to think about foundation differently,
0: Good. but
2: hopefully well, right? And then it also goes really well with life, doesn't it? Because for life to flourish, you know, the seed has to be planted in this fertile ground, like, and someone has to till the ground and pull out the weeds. And you know, there's all these beautiful images of, of what life work uh, looks like.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's one of the concepts that we have in terms of the founding, the foundational you know, documents that formed the United States. And this whole notion of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think on the abortion debate, one of the things I always, kinda, I always try to kind of point people to is that you know people who are marching and, and doing various things right now in our, in our culture, and, they're, and the marching and, and protesting is about liberty and the pursuit of happiness primarily. But if you don't have life, mm. liberty and the pursuit of happiness matters little. So that's one of the things i found that's very ironic that many of the people who are marching for liberty and the pursuit of happiness, so to speak, are not also advocates for life. In fact, they're the contrary of that. And so life is a foundational thing. If you don't have life, you don't have to have a conversation about liberty or the pursuit of happiness. They're irrelevant. And the fact that, you, that people have disconnected that foundational principle that we should be protecting life in all its forms from, from these other two pieces, um, I think is pretty, pretty significant. The other thing that you said that just kind of really struck me that I just loved is this concept about fear as a currency of, the, of oppression. And and, and, it's good, and you didn't say fear is a currency of the oppressor, <laughs> per se. You said of oppression. And yes. Unpack that. Can you talk a little bit about about that? I think that would be very interesting for people to kind of understand that concept because I think that is a big idea.
2: Yeah, that was a that was a game changer for me in terms of how I viewed oppression mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's so easy to go like they're oppressors and then these guys are oppressed and not realize that those cycles are actually we're all caught in the same cycle. Yeah. So, I mean, this is true. If you think of something totally outside of our wheelhouse, like where it's like, you know, one of the great oppressions of the Western world is obesity. Mm -hmm. And then one of the great oppressions of the, you know, developing world is hunger. Mm -hmm. And you realize, you know, you're caught in this web of interconnected oppression, that the oppressions are connected. Mm -hmm. And we're all sort of oppressors and oppressed in this thing called oppression. And I think that I never really understood how central fear was to the enemy's work to destroy, to oppressing people. Uh, One of the great uh, descriptions of Jesus that I love in the the New Testament is when they say that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It's one of, I think it's just the coolest business card ever. What do you do? I destroy the works of the devil. What do you do? You know, I always wanted to make that up. Just give it to someone on a plane. I thought it'd be fun. But um, the word destroy there is ruach. It, uh, it, it actually means to unravel. It's like uh, if you think about a wool sweater
0: mm. and you're
2: just pulling on that thread that's loose. Mm. So Jesus has come to unravel the oppression of the enemy, like what, how the enemy has wrapped the world in oppression. Mm. And so there's something beautiful about even like every single act that we do that is not participating in fear. So every single act that we do is that is love you know that is hopeful that is like outside the realm of fear we're actually undoing this oppression this cycle of oppression that's kind of wrapped itself around our minds around our world around our our actions and behaviors mm-hmm. so i just i every time i sense and i mean this is really you need to get to a place where you're willing to identify where your fear is because again you can be doing the right thing but for the wrong reason mm-hmm. so if you're doing the right thing out of fear even if you think you're doing the right thing, even if you are doing the right thing, you can still be participating in an oppressive cycle. So I think it's really important to become aware what is your motive? Like what is actually motivating you either to do or not do what it is that you're doing? I think especially in these days with COVID-19 and sort of this polarized conversation in your country, in America, where everybody's either on one side or on another side and you're making decisions even on what side you're on often based on fear. And I often think if you're making those decisions based on fear, like I'm not saying you shouldn't make a decision. I'm just saying, if you're doing it out of fear, you are just contributing to more and more oppression. So really having like, what are you so afraid of? You know, just having that conversation. What are you afraid of naming that fear and then asking God, the God of perfect love who can drive out that fear to motivate you to participate in a different way.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really, I think that's really, uh, Fascinating, and, and a couple of things that really jumped out to me uh, that links to some things that God had put on my heart um, as I've as I've talked about, you know, our issue, and certainly I, I've, I've had some conversations about race uh, because of, like, I'm a black man, so you know, I, I get into those that helps. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, right. one of the things that one of the things that, that really struck me when you said that is that. Tying back to Jesus, this understanding that fear—being you know, fear—is—is the currency of oppression, and the fact that you have oppressors and uh, and those oppressed. And when you see Jesus's ministry, he had a call for both the victimizer and the victim. Yes. In fact, you know, his last acts on the cross were actually saving victimizers. Yes. The the thief on the cross, not the wrongly accused thief on the cross, but the thief on the cross, right? And then the last act being, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know. Right. So you know that whole notion that Jesus could see this commonality,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so you know, it, it, it's this notion that the, the adversary is an adversary who who trades in oppression. Yes. And, and so he saw that that you that aspect in both those who were the oppressor and the okay. oppressed and it was a common it was a common and being able to do that getting to that point where that you can look out in humanity and you can look at a someone who's being trafficked and actually see a commonality between the trafficker and the one trafficked yes they're both caught
2: in the oppression yes all caught yeah. in oppression and they're all and these, this is yeah. Yeah, this was mind blowing for me also. And this might be helpful too in some of the work uh, that, that you're involved in, in the scriptures where it says that uh, Colossians 1, 21, 22, it was my life verse for years. I never I never saw this until recently, which I think is hilarious. You can memorize and say something over and over again and not really get the fullness of it. But it says this, once I was alienated from God and I was an enemy in my own mind because of my evil behavior, but now Christ has reconciled me through his physical death on the cross to present me holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. It's a beautiful, beautiful life verse. What I never really understood before is that I read it again. Once I was alienated from God and I was an enemy in my own mind. Hmm. Think about that for a second. I was an enemy in my own mind. And this is what I suddenly realized. A lot of this was in reconciliation work that I've done, but God has no human enemies.
1: Mm.
2: He has no human enemies. He's not mad at humanity. He's not mad at any of them. No matter what side of the debate you are on, and pick a subject. He's not mad at you. He loves you and has come to free you. So this is this idea that God is mad. He has enemies, but they're not human Right. his enemies are the spiritual right. forces of darkness an enemy and the oppressor that is behind all of the thing so it, as soon as you get that that I, and i really honestly believe that i was an enemy of god in but it, because of my evil behavior but i was never an enemy of god god never looked at me and saw oh she's not you know she's an enemy of mine he has no human enemies and that's that that insight to see the cycle of oppression how to break oppression in every single person whether they're a planned parenthood demonstrator or whether like a staunch pro-lifer, all of them yeah. need are not enemies of God. God is for all of humanity. And this is, I think the revolutionary aspects of being pro-life Yeah, yeah, is understanding that all lives, like that person that I disagree with and they want to be my enemy and would say that they're my enemy. I would say, no, no, no. no. Maybe in your mind, you're an enemy, but God has no human enemies and neither do I
1: yeah that's just really fantastic and i and I think that at this point and I'm going to be building this out even in terms of the work that we that we do at carenet because it just gave me so many insights, for example, over the years you know we've really been encouraging um, you know the pregnancy centers to engage more men in this process and yes. there's a lot of data around he's the most influential in her decision to abort he's the first one she tells all these different things, and one of the observations that I had was. Um, when I first came to the pregnancy center movement was that there was this oppressor, oppressed perspective. The yes. woman is being oppressed. The man is the oppressor. Right. And so the compassion was towards the oppressed. Yes. When the reality is, and so that, that's a model, frankly, that the other side kind of plays on to kind of isolate her, your body, your choice. Basically, we don't right. want the guy involved. Yeah. And we had sort of adopted, you know, probably unbeknownstly, but that same kind of mentality yes. that he got her pregnant and, you know, we don't want to engage him because all he wants to do is try to encourage her to have the abortion when the reality is that they're both locked in a cycle outside mm-hmm. of God's design. And so as, as we start to open our hearts as a, as a ministry platform to this notion that the evil one is not him, the evil yes. one is the evil one, that, yes. he, that he is part of this process Oh, that's trying pretty- to
2: increase destruction and oppression in people's lives yeah, yeah. in both of their lives as well as the unborn child, right? So that idea too, that this, this, this push, this dominant cultural push is towards destruction, yeah. not just for that unborn child, but for everybody involved in that decision, uh, living with the consequences of that in their lives. I think that's a beautiful thing to flesh out, even in how we do ministry, to refuse to be enemies, Um, and that's just a beautiful posture. Like I am not your enemy and to figure out how we can communicate that and back to that sort of truth and love thing, you know, when you refuse to be enemies, um, something shifts, something happens because what people, I feel like people who are in decision-making zones of when they're in panic, you know, they're panicked and they're making decisions. They're not making decisions based on truth. Mm -hmm. They're making decisions based on feeling. And so in so many ways, you can present all the right truthful things to somebody, but if they're panicked, what they need more than anything else is to know and to feel and to be loved, to be welcomed, to not be alone, you know, to know that there's people with them and for them and that they're going to get through this. So like, again, it's not even like, I mean, if we all made rational decisions in a panicked situation, we'd all be fine. Like we've all, you know, so it's that idea of like the truth without this, you know, embrace this radical, inclusive embrace of love will not do the trick. And Jesus understood this and demonstrated it by the radical, you know, embrace of love to the whole world. Yeah, the yeah,
1: it's really this concept. Yeah. it's not us against
2: them, but yes.
1: it's, remember, it's us against him being the evil one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and the forces, yeah. you know, the forces of the spiritual yeah. powers.
1: Yeah, spiritual yeah. power. That's Yeah. Fantastic. Well, listen. Yeah. As as we close up, one of the things that I'd love for you just to do, as quickly, uh, quickly do, is um, I really love this, this the concept that you talked about at, at um, uh, during your presentation, and you're talking about this this notion of these two women, uh, yeah, midwives. I, I just fascinating, and I think that really, really resonated with with our our. Um, our, our ministry audience and our affiliates, because, you know, this work is in many cases, certainly it's challenged. It's, it's risky and it's, it, you know, I put down, you know, unnamed and unseen and there's, there is a lot of that. And one of the yeah. things that we hear often when we have our conference is that I was ready to give up mm-hmm. or I was tired and this, and this was a refresher for me mm-hmm. uh, just refreshed me and motivated me and encouraged me. So I just thought that was such An amazing, amazing uh, way of looking at that story and really fleshing that out for for us. When did when did you get that insight? (laughs) is that something you've talked about in the, in the past? I mean, I've never met you before, so I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, so some of those, that Exodus stuff was such, I I really wanted to study the freedom narrative because I was involved so much in, in, in trafficking work, anti-trafficking work, trying to set people free. And so, and then even just cycles of sexual exploitation of women that I've been working with trying to get out of that, and just the cycles of that and i just realized i didn't really have the theological undergirdings of like what is the freedom narrative in the scriptures and of course exodus is the is the big one isn't it it's a meta narrative of of god so i just sort of deep dive deep dove into the scripture of the exodus to learn myself about this narrative what what, what am i learning from this and then out of that study came a book called the ultimate exodus And uh, some of those thoughts are in that book, a little bit more fleshed out. I was so committed to the Exodus story. I named my youngest son Moses. Wow. So like it's in, you know, this idea of like, let my people go. But just this, uh, the cycles that are, you know, the way in which that happens and uh, what we're learning from the text, I think is essential. Like one of the things that blew my mind when I was studying Exodus is the idea that I have read Exodus a hundred, you know, maybe even a thousand times and always identified with the Israelites every single time. Mm-hmm. But what if I read Exodus as an Egyptian? Mm-hmm. How would it feel? What if I read Exodus as an Egyptian? And this was, this was so fascinating to me because actually in the world, if you think about the concept of the world, I have way more in common with Egypt. You know, I'm part of a dominant people group with wealth and privilege, and literally slaves make my clothes. I mean, whether or not I want to see it or not, that's irrelevant. But that's what's happening, you know. And it, what would I do if, you know, when a Bangladeshi woman or a child came into my bedroom and said to me, "Would you let my people go?" You know, how does what does that sound like? You know, yeah. and how does that resonate with? And, and then would I, you know, would I be willing? And what would it cost me to do so? And 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 so just even just so that those those ideas were just so mind boggling to me. And I, it reminded me that this this narrative of freedom you know, is God's ultimate plan for the world. He wants all of us to be set free. Mm-hmm. And, um, so anyway, that, that's where that comes from. And I could, you know, I could preach on Exodus all day long, but that was just chapter one, right? We're just, that's not even 115. We didn't even get to the end of the chapter. And right. we talked about the currency of fear and the invisible nature of God, like bringing the lowly up to a higher place. And, yeah. uh, I mean, so much stuff, It was just amazing. Isn't it? God's word.
1: Well, I, I, I just got your book and I, uh, right before I came to conference. haven't had a chance to, to read it yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that. And uh, it, it's certainly a theme that resonates with, you know, the work that Care does. I mean,
2: yeah,
1: locked in bondage and this whole notion of, of freedom and being free indeed. And, and that piece is, is so significant and so important. Uh, to us. So listen, I I just again want to thank you so much for uh, speaking to our uh, group today. Absolutely bless them. You made them laugh. I don't know if you could hear all that. but I couldn't
2: hear the laughter. I just tried to laugh myself to try to insert (laughs) laughter here. I know.
1: I've done presentations uh, that that were before, but You really struck a chord. I was watching people taking copious notes and I certainly was doing the same as well. So
2: you know, one thing I I wanted to just say really quickly is if that posture prayer is helpful to people um, Mm -hmm. and they want it. So that's often after I present that sometimes people are like, where can I get that? Um, There is a website just for all of that is free. Those postures, those prayers, they're all available for free at a website called infinitumlife.com. Okay. Great. So it's really hard. It's Latin for boundless, actually, infinitumlife.com. So if, if that's helpful to people, they can Google infinitum life and uh, go. And, and all of those prayers and postures are there uh, if that's helpful to keep people's foundation solid. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. really, really yeah. appreciate it. And okay. uh, hopefully this won't be the last time that we chat.
2: Yeah, I hope so. God bless you guys. And I hope the, the rest of your time goes amazing. Thanks very much. Okay. Bless you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of CareCast. For more pro-abundant life commentary and practical resources, please visit care-net.org. There you can subscribe to the Abundant Life blog, giving you access to videos, eBooks, podcasts, and other resources to help turn your pro-life passion into pro-abundant life action. Until next time, we pray that God blesses you and yours daily.